0: nerds unite it's uh, swing thoughts another episode this is just uh, I, I, I feel like this is like a casual Friday episode because we record on Fridays it's way out of the golf season and it's just Tim and I hanging out in between uh, other assignments uh, I'm humble Howard from the humble and Fred show of course golf spiritual leader from the Guelph Griffins and uh, parts unknown he is the uh, coach for the heart of gold ladies and gentlemen he is coach Tim O'Connor when I met him, he was just a lowly uh, newspaperman,
1: copy Coffee boy. Copy boy. He was we the know, Jimmy Olson <laughs> And
0: now look at him! Now look at him! All right, uh, good to see you, Coach. Uh, I know you were up late. You know, watching what? Ted Lasso again. That's okay. I found the uh, second season different a lot of people didn't like it what do you think of it
1: oh um it was interesting to see there's a couple of episodes where i was worried did it jump did it jump the shark yeah you know? pull
0: that right up by your mouth there fella. i
1: worried about whether that had happened
0: but what the uh, episode with the uh, coach beard doing the
1: nighttime thing that was a bit strange yeah it was, yeah, pretty, it was, it was
0: pretty it was pretty weird.
1: It was such a, uh, uh, like, a deviation from the yeah. the narrative arc of it. And the Christmas one, it was kind of like, oh, really? The Christmas one was kind of, like, weird. Well, but,
0: there's a story uh, behind that, if you'd like, okay, about why it, they please. had to do that. So there's, most people listening will just assume you know what we're talking about. If you don't, it's fine. Go watch Ted Lasso. So in the second season, they had been given an order for eight episodes. And so they created a story arc, to your point, that, in, that was eight episodes long from beginning and end. And it followed the arc that we've seen on the show. And then the success of the show was so big that uh, Apple, or is it Disney? I think it's Apple. Apple, Apple ordered Apple. two more episodes. So they were like, well, we, we've we already finished the story. So they just uh-huh. threw in the Christmas episode, which was a nod to Notting Hill. And uh, to, uh, no, um, what's a, what's a Christmas episode? Um,
1: Oh, you know what I'm saying? Okay, here we are, people over 60, trying That's to That's fine. Stuff. But it's like, like the naughty old Christmas one. Brutal Christmas movies? What's it called? All i when it's uh... a. <laughs> With a guy. No, don't, in look it. Look it <laughs> <laughs> don't look it up. Don't look it up. Yeah, that guy, okay. like the charming. It's a uh, Hugh Grant. It's a charming English guy. In yeah. It. Yes, Hugh Grant. Exactly. It's char-
0: it's, I think it's called Charming English People Have Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's charming Christmas, Notting Hill Christmas.
1: I just remember watching it and going, "Oh my God!" I survived well, listen, that.
0: The whole, the whole thing is crazy. Anyway, so that Christmas movie. So that's why Ted Lasso did a an homage, homage. I like that. An homage to that Christmas movie, and the other episode with with Coach Beard, which I at first hated. Because because I, I, as you say, it interrupted the arc, and then I went and looked up what they were trying to do, and it was, an, it was sort of an ode or an homage to another famous movie called After Hours. I think that's the name of the movie, but it's basically a, a movie that takes place all at night, and it feels very claustrophobic, and it felt very unted Lasso, but I guess they did it just as sort of to fill in those two extra shows. Yeah, so no, now I'm, you know. I'm going
1: to look forward to, as you were saying. I've I'm going through a second pass through of task, Ted Lasso, and I watched it was either five or six episodes last night to to conclude season one. But I was wondering because <laughs> I remember remember they have sort of the truth circle uh, where I forget I think I think it's near the beginning of season two where Ted uh, admits to the um, panic attack uh, Nathan. Uh, uh, admits to kissing uh, Keely. Oh, yeah. and Coach Coach Beard um, uh, admits to being sort of on mushrooms yeah, <laughs> for yeah. a game or something. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> so I kind of wondered if the the after hours thing was um, was Coach uh, Coach Beard had uh, taken maybe psilocybin yeah, that or he'd something. been on mushrooms.
0: Uh, by the way, thanks to the internet, Coach uh, Tim, uh, the Christmas movie we're thinking about. Is Love Actually That's that's right Charming British people having Christmas and, and my favorite part of that movie And I don't mind that movie My kids and I like to watch it uh, Is the Beach Boys song I may not always love you This is from uh, Pet Sounds For you young I'm kids who don't know what we're real listening real to And I'll tell Ooh. you if you've ever Wondered where Sergeant Pepper came from It came from Pet Sounds so No sir other, Other, way way around. Around. Mm. Other way around Other way around Are you sure? Absolutely Okay, relax now Just relax You gotta oh, you're gonna go on the internet And prove me wrong No, no, I'm just gonna find out I thought it was I, I actually thought the Beatles uh, Which came first mm. I thought You I know thought what it was, I, was,
1: I Anyway, it, was it doesn't matter They're both I thought, it, they're, I, thought it, they're, I thought once that came out Every band in the land went Oh my gosh What are we gonna do um, but you might be right. You might be right.
0: Uh, I only think that's because uh, I um, I had recently seen that movie with John Cusack as as Brian Wilson.
1: Um, oh. We could really go down a rabbit hole here, like uh, like like YouTube, going down in, in terms of music. Uh, I, I just saw another note, somewhat related. Have you watched any of the Beatles' Get Back? watch the documentary whole thing yeah. by Peter Jackson. Seen the entire thing. Wow! I just watched uh, part one last weekend, and there was parts in that where I kind of had
0: goosebumps. No, I know, the, the the point where he you watch him create Get
1: Back. Exactly. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. And listen, I know you're feeling a little bit tired, and I don't want to get you upset, but Paul McCartney <laughs> has acknowledged that Pet Sounds was the primary impetus behind the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album. Uh, I and I, I and again, I it's yeah. not a contest, but I only know that because I was watching uh, that movie recently. Okay. Um, if you don't have Disney, <clears throat> you have, you've got to get uh, a friend to lend it to you for, uh, for Get Back the uh, Beatles, uh, Doc. I've watched the whole thing. Here's an interesting story, too. I feel like I'm telling you all sorts of music trivia. Disney, which normally doesn't allow swearing on any mm-hmm. of its platforms. You, go, you know, mo- the whole point of Disney is that you can watch it with all the family. But Peter Jackson asked and received a, uh, an exemption. Paypal dispensation? So that he could have, uh, mm. you know, the boys from Liverpool speak like boys from Liverpool. Although they don't swear, you know, a whole lot, but there's some there's some f bombs in there, my friend.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but you, that'd be like, okay, you had some footage of Mozart, <laughs> and you're gonna edit you're gonna edit it out. You know, Mozart creating things, and that's I don't know that's part of what I found amazing about it. I remember when, um, so yeah, you watch McCartney do. Uh, work on get back and it's really interesting he's just got the melody and he's singing gibberish you know sometimes when he's he's playing he's playing the bass like a guitar as well i thought that was very cool yeah he was kind of but strumming then, it yeah then you see him and lennon starting to work together on it and it's like wow this is so cool that's like well, that was one of those you know the, the hair stood up on my arms moment there's a lot of tedium as oh, well yeah.
0: like the middle one i, I think part 2 I'm just comment on what you said Because Fred and I basically spent four days Because he's as big a Beatle fan as I am and as you are So we spent most of this past week On the Humble and Fred show talking about it So a couple of these points are fresh But but it's interesting to me that The, the middle, like it, it, it did get a little bit It sort of dragged on But I think it kind of gave you a sense Of what life was like for them You know, there was lots of tedious moments But, you know, one of the my Last thing before we get to golf For me anyway you know, there's something in my head where I thought at the end, maybe Lennon and McCartney weren't really getting along. And, and what they were doing, they were acting like anybody who had worked together a long time. But mm-hmm. as I said to Freddie, you know, there were so many moments where you could see the two of them looking at each other with such joy, you know, smiling at each other and, that, and just that kind of feel between two guys that have been through so much together that there was still lots of fun in that studio, I felt
1: anyway absolutely and that's the just the little comments they make to each other and the little glimpses they have like on the Let It Be album you hear like these little things like even the the, the Ma- inclusion of Maggie May in there yeah. they just start to play and have some fun and press re- you know, yeah, when they re- all being recorded and there's all
0: these songs that they were sort of remembering that they wrote as teenagers and they started playing and then they started playing their own like Beatles songs like you just re- you sort of forget that you know, they were 29, Lennon, uh, 27, McCartney, 23 or 4, George. And I think Ringo was the oldest at 32. They were just kids. Exactly. You no, know, Especially especially to two old guys like us. <laughs> all right, let's talk about our sponsors. We're thrilled. There's a couple things we have an announcement to make. Yes. Well, it's a sort of an announcement. But uh, we'd like to, um, maybe you could lead by, you know, ex- we all, I'll mention our meeting yesterday. You can talk about our Our sponsorship returning for 2022.
1: Okay, so I'll lead with that we're venturing into merch now.
0: No, I said I'll, I'll do... Okay, you do the merch first, then I'll mention the sponsors. Okay.
1: Yeah, so we've thought about for a little while how we can kind of share the joy of Swing Thoughts with our devoted listeners, and so thinking of how to how to do that and merch seemed to be an obvious way to do it so let's do some real golf stuff so um we've entered into a relationship with dave stewart of hathaway stewart and they have uh he brings the jones bags into canada but he's also come up with this amazing product called the uh, the storm towel and some uh pretty nifty head covers that we're going to customize well and,
0: and just to be clear if I may interrupt we're not offering them to you now we're just letting coming. you know that for the first time in our six-year history we're finally yeah. going to ask you for something
1: <laughs> well yeah, and soon to be seven-year history man i really it's, yeah in January it's seven years we've been doing this thing that you've been putting up with looking at me and doing these things so yeah we're you gonna look be very athletic today by
0: the way you look very uh coachy today I like that
1: no, oh, I, I got my Griffin uh, hoodie on. That's
0: a very handsome hoodie. I would buy that hoodie.
1: It is. It's, it's so comfy. I got two of them.
0: Maybe, uh, you know, the old hell man can, you know, get some Griffin merch. Anyway, uh, so Tim's talking about this thing. I don't want it, but I don't want you to get the idea that, you know, act now operators are standing by. But continue. <laughs> this guy that we're, he's a friend of Tim's. He's a golf guy, and he's a real pro at what he does.
1: Yeah, so Dave, he was a golf professional. He went into the uh, food business for 20 years back into golf because he just loves it so much. But a really sharp, sharp business guy who saw that there was a, a kind of a gap in the market for some interesting products. And one is, you know, the old rain uh, rain hood is a pain in the neck, right? To put on your golf bag with snaps and Velcro. So he created this, this towel that works as a, a rain hood. You just throw it over and then... It also works as a as a towel, but it's you don't see the towel, so because yeah. it, it's it's all enclosed. And
0: I think anyways. a lot of guys, a lot of guys listening and probably know what we're talking about there. Because and again, for sure, There's like Titleist I, had one. Titleist has one. A few companies have them, but you, you know, any bag that I've ever gotten that has that snap-on rain hood is just always thought it was useless. Exactly. But this thing that Dave is talking about with us, uh, we think it's the kind of product. Again, we thought a lot about, you know, should we do T-shirts or hats? And and Timmy, i got to be honest with you. When you told me about this, I thought this is the perfect swing thoughts thing because it's got some quality to it. You know, it's not a little throwaway thing. And um, in the new year, we'll give you some details on how you can order them. But uh, we're pretty thrilled with this. And um, I think it'll be yeah. a nice product for people to display their, you know, maybe. If, and we can customize it. We're going to put a couple different slogans on. Maybe we can put STDs on it somewhere.
1: <laughs> that's, that's right. A conversation starter on the first T. Hi, I'm Bill. I'm Frank. Hmm, STD.
0: STD. <laughs> have you been tested?
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and yeah, speak- and some of our some of our phrases we like to use here on Swing Thoughts. Yeah. I slightly don't care. And when
0: it's your turn, take your turn. I'll we'll have to ask Henrik like swing- if that's okay.
1: One swing away from a complete meltdown.
0: One swing away from chaos. Golf is chaos. What I'd really like to do is have one that says, uh, you know, past performance is no indication of future results, but that's too many words. Speaking of years, uh, for the first time, I think, since we've been doing this, uh, we have now re-signed both of our sponsors for the 2022 golf season. Maybe I can find them. There we go. So, I'll I'll tell you what you, know, you you take Jonathan, I'll take TaylorMade. Let me start. TaylorMade has been such a supporter of both Tim and I, uh, even before I was doing Swing Thoughts. I was working with Stu Banantine. They were giving me some stuff, and I was it was a great relationship, and it's continued with Nick and Kevin and everyone over there. And uh, we are very very lucky. You know, we do this show because we love to, and um, we'll be honest with you, be authentic. We're not doing it for money. I mean, it's great for Tim's business and it's great for my profile in the golf world. So I love doing it, but I can tell you, Timmy and I love the relationship with TaylorMade because we get access to their equipment. We get to feel like we're part of the conversation when it comes to, you know, what's being played. You know, now, I'm yeah, it's great to get free golf clubs, but, you know, it's a great golf company to be involved with. And, uh... I just want to say thanks, and we appreciate We're grateful for their support, and it comes from the fact that you people have been supporting us uh, for the last six to soon to be seven
1: years. Yeah, because if we didn't have a bunch of listeners, exactly, we wouldn't have sponsors hoping to reach them. So thanks very much, folks, yes. for, uh, for hanging in there with us. So, yeah, we're really excited about that. We're even getting fitted on uh, Wednesday.
0: Yeah, the cool. earliest I've ever gotten fit there too. Usually I wait till about February, but uh I was thrilled about that. And of course our other sponsors back Tim.
1: Yes, exactly, Jonathan Wong Apparel Inc. Um yeah, we last year was our first kick of the can with Jonathan and it it went really well and so we've re upped with John. That's that's awesome. He um his company distributes higher level apparel. I mean, I don't even I'm still nervous sometimes when I wear it that I'm going to get a mustard stain on it. But, but, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, like, he's
0: got some really nice stuff. Although those, oh. some of those polos are accessible. And, um, you know, so there are, there's some affordability in it. It's not oh, all super but expensive. It, it's but like it's a cut above for of, sure.
1: But it's anything of quality. Mm-hmm, absolutely. You know, it costs you a little bit more, but lasts for years. I mean, I got all kinds of golf shirts that after <laughs> one, right. one season... Gone. Listen, I got food stains from like 2019 on
0: some old Adidas stuff I was wearing. <laughs> anyway. Uh,
1: well, this stuff uh, that uh, Jonathan Wong has, uh, it's it's like high value, great stuff. Fairway and Green, uh, B Dratty, EPNY. Zero, zero restriction, restriction,
0: all of that. Yeah. And
1: garb and PRG. And, and the uh, Royal Albatross shoes. Royal Albatross. I love I, I love, I love. wearing those things. I remember the first time I wore my, my black pair, I was five minutes on property at Blue Springs, and I had like three people going, hey, those are amazing shoes, man. You know, it's funny you say that, because I don't,
0: you know, I'm not normally matched up very well. I'm colorblind, so I don't, you know, I just have to get, like right now, I get Rachel to tell me what shirts go with what shorts, but I did, there was a couple of color combinations I got in these the shorts and I. Excuse me, I can't remember who made them, but I've never had other dudes say, "Hey, where'd you get those?" Because they sort of they they look like golf shorts, but they look like you're wearing something different than the standard sort of fare.
1: Yeah, well, they're they're they they're stylish, and they're like they really high quality. Just have a you know good cut, angle, all that stuff. I'm yeah. not much of a of a fashionista, but they just look really really good, and they stand up. After washings and all that kind of stuff.
0: So thanks to Jonathan and Tailor Made, and uh, we are so looking forward to another great season. Just a couple other housekeeping items. Um, we'll probably do another show. I'm going to guess before the end of the year, and then of course you know January, February, March, we'll continue to do what we normally do, which is in the off season. If you're new to the podcast. We basically try and get together every couple of weeks when there's golf stuff to discuss. or And then as soon as April rolls around, we're back to every week. So that's uh, that. Uh, in the world of golf, there's, uh, I guess, the biggest story. What do you think the biggest story of the last seven days is?
1: Uh, that Wayne Gretzky's going to fund a Moe Narvin movie? <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Wayne and Janet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty. I'm pretty excited about it. Having um, written Moe's biography back in uh, '95, and and people ask me about what do I think about it, I think it's amazing. I mean, I am uh, I am a friend. Uh, well, uh, an industry acquaintance would be more <laughs> more true of Barry Morrow, who. You may know, or that name may may ring a bell, because he wrote the uh, screenplay and wrote an, and won an Oscar for it for The Rain Man, right? And he wrote a script uh, on a on a biopic for Mo, but he could never get it financed. So, but this fellow David Carver, who's actually from Newfoundland, he's a music promoter. He's brought in acts like ZZ Top and Tom Petty and those in, and he's come up with his own script and his own deal and it took a while but he finally got uh, someone with some half like So DeGretsky's. that's the one, so
0: that's the script yep. that Gretzky's going to develop. Now, is this what is is this not the same group of people that are doing the Mo documentary?
1: Correct. The Mo documentary is yeah, actually that being at? Well, that's there's still they've got the like 90 95% of the interviews done for that. They're still trying to get interviews with Kind of what we'll call A-listers, people like Lee Trevino, Paul Azinger. But Todd Graves is the guy behind that movie. He's the executive producer. And Barry Morrow is a a key person in the making of that documentary. He's doing most of the the interviews.
0: So, not to be confusing, so Barry Morrow, who had originally written a scripted fictional movie about Mo, then signed on with Graves for the documentary. Exactly, fantastic. It's
1: called the feeling of greatness. The same yeah. name as uh, my book.
0: Yeah. So well, that is that is an interesting that is an interesting story in the world of golf. That is not the story that is the biggest story in the world of golf, but that's a great story.
1: Yeah. No, I'm I'm pretty happy about it. It's a certain in my orbit. It was the big story of the week.
0: <laughs> well, I think so. Do you want to know what the biggest story is, or should we just leave that hanging there?
1: No, you you go for it. I I could take. So what a do you guess. think? What do you think? What do you think it is? Uh, let's see. That players can't use green uh, books anymore.
0: <laughs> that a 13 second video of of a guy in oh, shorts yeah, hitting exactly. a, a wedge was seen by a hundred million people in in about 15 minutes. You know, I I mean, I love Tiger. Probably, you know, i know I love him more than you do because you've got your you've got your own deity. I only have Tiger. Um, <laughs> But I, even I was surprised because I'm really part of this whole golf Twitter community. That's how I originally how I got to m- sort of meet Lou Stagner and Fawcett online. But anyway, there's this it was just hilarious to me. And it it is a big story. I mean, Tiger coming back. Tiger is the needle. You know, say what you want about the world of golf and the health of the of the game. And it is healthy. But uh, there's no doubt that he still has such impact because on social media within an hour of that video being released it was just madness yeah exactly every conceivable from golf digest to golfcom.com to the no laying up guys to all those guys barstool sports all the dudes on twitter everybody in well, I'm even beyond golf but i was i was just I found it fascinating that even just him hitting some wedges, and then, of course, a couple days ago, yesterday was the day that the Hero World Challenge began, and then he's out there on the back of the range the day before hitting some, like, five woods or something, making some full swings, and it's like, what? What? Is he going to try this again?
1: Yeah, even though well, I thought it was very interesting the way it was sort of all rolled out. So you have the what eight second video, and then you have the Golf Digest interview. Yeah, and then you have the Hero World Challenge. So it's all just kind of snowballing. Yeah, as you know, is that's
0: no that's, that that that's no, no, coincidence. no coincidence
1: there. No, all all of that. But what I found very fascinating about that is that you know all these people saying, "Wait." Well, hey, yeah, Tiger's back, and maybe it'll be a night, you know, maybe he can get the Jack's majors. And, well, I think most people were pretty realistic about it. But in essence, Tiger was saying, look, I'm not going to be out on tour regular. I'm, You know, me trying to compete with these guys in majors, but all these media guys are going like, yeah, but it's Tiger. He can do anything. And he's trying to tell people, essentially, my career's mainly over. Uh, I'll come out. Maybe, like Mr. Hogan, I can do a few things. But well, Hogan after the accident was a lot younger. True, but
0: uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was just the media. I mean, those hundreds of millions of of you know people were. Uh, it just goes to show you. I mean, like it's like when Jordan went back to playing, ba- you know, basketball. It's when. You know, Nicholas won in 86. There's just a few sporting figures that can make a noise in their sport. It's funny, you know, that uh, you know, that PIP, (laughs) you know, that player impact program thing.
1: Oh that thing, yes. Well, yes,
0: one of the right. guys I follow online, he's very funny. He's a good golfer. His name is Jim Herman, and he's a sort of a journeyman PGA Tour pro. But his running gag is how he, he's doing whatever he can for some of that sweet PIP money. <laughs> anyway, and he's always <laughs> tweeting about still silly stuff he did that will get him PIP points. Well, when Tiger puts out the video, <laughs> he put out something like, "Oh great, there goes there goes all the PIP money." <laughs> You know, he said, I, I, you know, I, I've worked hard all year and Tiger's going to get the lion's share for just a 13 second video. But uh, I don't know. Listen, man, I, uh, I would have obviously it's strategic. Tiger has a, a relationship with this golf tournament. So he didn't put the video out of hit, hit, him hitting wedges two weeks ago. I'm not you know, we're not naive so the video comes out then a couple days later the golf digest interview and then of course the golf tournament and now we're all talking about tiger and the hero world challenge which is you know fair you know that's why they have sponsorship but he's a, and he's a smart man he did that on purpose 2050 you know anniversary of his foundation and all that stuff but it was kind of funny to me just uh him hitting wedges made such a big stink and listen i got excited I, oh, I didn't yeah. start going okay, Masters. You know, like Stagner. I, I, I you don't know Lou uh, like I do because he is a golf. He's a golf uh, Tiger Woods nerd. He is out there putting out like Tiger Woods Masters 2022. I'm like, easy, Lou. <laughs> Come on, pal. Let's see if you can get through the uh, father-son challenge
1: or whatever that sh- tournament's called. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's like I, I've I've said to people who complain, you know, when Tiger. Was be shown, you know, he's like twentieth in a tournament, and, and CBS is showing every shot. And I go like, wait a sec, you can't complain when you're seeing like a a literally living legend. Yeah. It'd be like, y- you'd want to see all the swings that Babe Ruth would take um, if you had that opportunity.
0: Yes, sir, man. That's uh, well. So the golf season's just about over. You know, they um, sadly had to cancel. The beginning of the uh, European tour, which began uh, in South Africa. They rebranded
1: European tour. it's
0: funny. uh, Interesting about that, that they uh, (laughs) rebranded it. The DP World Tour. You know, for a lot of people here in North America who don't know that DP was a um, big sponsor. DP World, I guess, is a big sponsor of the European tour.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And I have... I have not been reading much about what does well, DP. No, but I was
0: say, here in North America, <laughs> when I heard they were rebranding it the DP World Tour, I was like, uh, I don't know if they know what DP stands for on, you know, you porn. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of. Like, is that Kay hey, Pelly? Is that the best name, really? The DP World Challenge? Seems a bit specific well, I- to me. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, I, I, I... I made Coach Tim
0: blush. I made I Coach no Tim idea. blush. I, I actually have
1: zero idea what uh, that particular acronym uh, well, refers to. Well, I'll tell you
0: what, tell you you what there. Uh, Fellow, when we're done the show, why don't you look it up? But don't miss a lot. Make sure Sandy's not around.
1: I thought it was like just... Uh, I, I, I was thinking maybe uh, Deep Purple going deep into their... Yeah. <laughs> catalog
0: or Well, you know what I feel like right now? I feel like an older brother talking to his younger brother saying, no, listen, when mom and dad aren't around, go Google DP. And, and, And for the rest of you who are listening, he's not kidding. This is how sweet, a beautiful, angelic man we're dealing with here. I am literally the devil. I am the most horrible person compared to this guy. And the fact that you're blushing is making it even more exciting for me.
1: I can just, you can see I'm blushing. Oh, yeah, too. you're all
0: red faced and like I, because
1: here's no, the I thing. No, I just thought, well, that's, oh, it's just because I'm wearing this hoodie. Oh, you're it's getting hot now. It has insulating qualities.
0: Yes, it's very <laughs> warm in there. In the, in the Coach Tim hoodie. <laughs> anyway, so yes, they've rebranded it the, I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you what it is, Tim, because all the men listening know what it is. No, I don't know. Dunhill? You know what? I don't think I will. And I've changed my mind again.
1: It's so the Dunhill Products.
0: No, I'm saying what the what the what the North American person, the average North American man is going to think DP is what it actually is in in Europe is a, I think it's a it's an a Middle Eastern company of some kind. But I don't I tell you what, if you if you google DP right now, just put DP World. So DP World is a Emirati, it's a, an emirati Emir, it's from Dubai a company based in Dubai, specializing in cargo logistics, port terminal operations, and so forth. That's why they're so called D P
1: world that for supply chain problems we're having? Sure. But
0: if you so but D P world is also probably a category on Pornhub. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. This might be one of the funniest moments in this show's history. And there have been some funny moments, but this one right here, kids, (laughs) this is the one I may actually edit this and play it on Monday's Humble and Fred show, because it really is a very Humble and Fred moment. So, yes, DP World in the uh, UAE, United Arab Emirates, is a moving company, multinational logistics company. And here in North America, DP World involves uh, usually three people, Tim.
1: Okay,
0: two people with swords and one person with a to re, anyway it doesn 't matter i don't want to describe porn to you now i'm I'm beginning embarrassed myself okay <laughs> anyway, this is one of the most you know what I love this show today it's kind of it's it's you and i it 's you know somewhat golf related
1: yeah going like all over the hill in and some on,
0: very different directions saying, Over today.
1: hill and dale. So yeah, a lot of cool stuff going on this week. No, I kind of jokingly said, uh, but I do think it was interesting how the uh, PGA Tour has banned those computer-generated golf, uh, those green books. You, know, you saw players studiously looking at those books that were done with like lasers of greens, and now you can't do that anymore. Yeah, um, those books they have to be provided by, I guess it's by the by the golf club, but it was really interesting. To me, to read it, that you can write notes in those, it's yep. okay, and you can carry last year's notes into this year, but but you can't use the topographical
0: rendering of yeah. a green with arrows marking not only um, for people who don't know uh, they not only mark direction but they mark degrees of slope, and when you're a you know when you're a guy at that level, and somebody says it's a one or two percent. Slope That means something to them in a way that, like, you know, I took the aim point course a few years ago, and it's got something to do with that. Anyway, I think it's great. I would say to the average player, I'm going to ask you this. You know, we would be smart. I keep saying every year there's a couple of the greens on my course, my home course, and I'm sure the same with you and others, where you go, you know, I should mark down that break because the pin's almost never there. But when it is, it confuses me. Do you know what I mean? Oh, exactly. No, I, that, I think that's a great point. Well, you keep a yardage book, but you- I, I do, and I ha- and I do on certain greens have the the arrows that I've drawn myself. But you know, I, I keep saying every year that there's always a couple that come up. I'm like, damn! You think by you know the joke I make to myself is you think after nine years you'd know how that breaks, but it there's we all have a few on our cor- home courses. We'd be well off to to jot it down somewhere. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well. I do plan to be a yardage book guy next year because I'm now a official decade subscriber. Thank you, Scott Fawcett. And so, yeah, I'm going to be taking a, a deeper dive, but I'm just, uh, yes, we're all over topics, but and we
0: don't have anything else to do except I'm going to tell you about how stand up is like golf in a second.
1: Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that when we when we talk about that because I love how it all comes together. It, it works together with my golf is life theme that I've been exploring these days. But um, yeah, just taking a deep dive into decade videos right now and and particularly the ones on putting I just find so fascinating because I do a lot of coaching around putting and I really love the, the, the whole idea of a stop trying to make birdies. That just makes just so much sense that I never really got until our interview with Fawcett. And now that I'm doing this deeper dive into deck, it just makes a ton of sense. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, sometimes when, you know, like i I told you that, you know, months ago, but it's hard sometimes. And I, not that I say, Oh, I told you so, but more like sometimes we receive information at different points, you know, when, when you're ready to hear it, I mean, oh, just absolutely. tell it, you know, I told a hundred people this summer, you know, I, Fawcett says stop trying to make birdies. Leave a certain amount short. Um, the way to avoid the the way to lower your scores isn't trying to, isn't trying to make a lot of birdies. It's trying it's it's not making a lot of three putts. But sometimes when you hear it, you know, enough times or a guy like Fawcett explained it, maybe explains it better than me. But the concept is again easy to understand. The the takeaway for decade, and I've had a bunch of conversations recently with people that signed up. Thank you very much. A lot all of it is simple and easy to understand. It's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And the D, you know, there's the, the acronym of decade, but one of them is distance. The other D is discipline. We're back to <laughs> double Ds. So uh, <laughs> I I honestly I can't wait for the show to be over so I can explain to Tim what D P world means. Anyway, anyway <laughs> But I, I mean, I and, and I it took me a while to pound into my dumb head that if I stopped trying to make 22 footers and ramming them four feet by and there or five feet by in three putting, um, I could lower my scores. And so I yeah, I'm glad that you're doing it. And, and as far as yardage books and stuff like I used yardage books because of decade, you can print the, the yardage books and that's a whole other tutorial. I actually had to have Ronan. Yes. Ronan had to explain it to me. Uh, but anyway, having yardage books for other courses and, and mapping those courses in advance definitely helped me. But even on my home course, you know, I had printed the yardage books for all three nines, and I would put in those little notes, like, you know, from this spot I, I know kind of some st- strategy stuff or greens that broke a certain way or, you know, what is the distance to that bunker? And then, you know, we we all take our home courses for granted. And I think there's a couple shots in everyone's home course where if you just remembered that break or knew what that distance to carry the bunker was because they move the tees around, you know, I'll just finish by saying, you know, we were on the first hole at Scotch block just before the season ended and I was lasering the bunkers and somebody made fun of me. They go, don't you know how far that is? I go, yeah, but not from this spot, mm-hmm. not from the, because the tees were up. Or what if they're back? So on holes where I have to carry bunkers, potentially, I always laser it on my home course. Now, you know, a lot of us, I never used to do that before Decade.
1: But it's part of the thing I love about Decade. It's it's bringing some specificity, if you will, uh, to to a game where we're playing in this big field. And I love how Fawcett has brought the analytics to just looking at percentages and it just it just makes so much sense. I even have a, had a client through who listened to our podcast with Fawcett and he took some of that target selection stuff to his next game, and he just like now I'm getting it because you know I've been talking about course management for a long time, but when you add the numbers to it, it starts to even make more sense. Well, that, the thing is, there is
0: you know course management. That, you know, I remember even last year before I had gone, you know, because I had done decade with you and I, and I sort of I kept the card. And there was a few principles that I was using and along with this is stuff that Henrik taught me. But even when I went out with you last year, you know, we were talking some core strategy stuff that was beneficial, you know, and that was prior to decade. But what, what decade did for me is it just took me from, you know, kind of where I was inconsistent to make you know because that really is the thing all golfers ask you they ask me and everybody how do I get more consistent well we know that you can't be consistent swinging it because that changes every day but what why my handicap dropped and why yours will and others who if you do this right is because your approach is consistent there's no more what should i do in this situation Oh, I know what to do. I do the right thing in this situation because of the numbers I know, because of the expectations from 150 yards. I know that if I get it somewhere near the green, it's a good shot. And if I don't, I don't beat myself up about it anymore because I know that as a scratch amateur from this point in the fairway, I'm likely to shoot over par. It's just knowing that kind of calms you down, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, Yeah. So let's hear about your how did it go last night? Well, I feel like I've
0: droned on oh, too much, but I'll tell you this. Um, you know, you've done enough public speaking to understand what I'm about to tell you, and for people who haven't, there, there's no way for me to explain to a non-performer how important how the room is set up is to how the performance is going to go. And I'll give you a quick example. The biggest crowd I've ever done stand-up in front of is 2,500 people or 2,000 people. I was on a a two-day opening tour for Howie Mandel. This was years ago. And I was scared shitless. And I was really nervous. And one of the other guys on the show, this is funny actually, was one of the guys on Full House, a guy named Dave Coulier. There was Bob Saget, and then there was John Stamos, and then there was the dopey other uncle guy. He's a pretty good stand-up. So he could see, I only had to do 12 minutes. And he could see I was really nervous. I was like 23 or 24. And he says, is this your first time doing a big theater show? I go, yeah. He goes, dude, it's it's the easiest place you'll ever play. I'm like, what? He goes, just trust me. It's the easiest crowd you'll ever work in front of. Because they're all sitting in a theater, looking up at a stage. The lights are perfect. The mic sounds great. They've paid big money to see Howie Mandel. And by gosh, they're all going to laugh at something. The hardest crowd's And I did. I did really well because when 2000 people have a mild laugh, it sounds like a wave when they really laugh. It's like being in an avalanche. It really it's something else. Conversely, 20 people in a cafeteria at your office with fluorescent light standing next to a fridge saying, now it's time for funny boy, you know, not 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 so good. Right. Right. And, and you've done, again, you've done Toastmasters. And so, you know, the reason they set up the room that you're going to speak in, where people are looking up and you're looking, you know, you're above them, is that the room is very important to how it's going to go. Are you with me, or are you looking at your... Uh, go ahead, answer it.
1: No, it, it, it's probably uh, someone saying <laughs> that um, the CRA are coming to arrest me because for something you
0: know so. my, my brother Steve is the only guy I know that was sucked in by that Oh, my God. Your, I'm not kidding. Your he, brother? My brother was on his way to Best Buy. He, he, I don't know if he left the house, but they had him convinced that he needed to go to Best Buy and get a $2,000 gift card, and he was going to do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I have never stopped giving him shit about that for Absolutely. the last couple of years. How did
1: he do with the Nigerian church <laughs> thing? <laughs> I know.
0: Every time I'm like, hey, dude, uh, listen, if you're at Best Buy paying your tax bill, do you want to uh, pick me up a, a new battery? <laughs> I, I, and you know he, he was he was like well I didn't know I go, what do you mean you didn't know since when does the government want you to go <laughs> go pick up an, a big screen TV yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Glassman I see you didn't have any RSPs this year you're gonna need to gonna need to go get me a Sonos <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah God, I remember getting an email from uh Scott McRoberts, he's the athletic director at the University of Guelph. He says, hey, can you do me a favor? Okay, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I need you to go to Staples and, uh, what? <laughs> dude, just just go down the hall to, you know, to where you keep all your staplers and pens and stuff. Yeah. And it went, oh, I've been fished in. So. No, I know. I kept my, my brother's
0: like, I said to him, like, so what, what you thought, of, hey, Mr. Glassman, um, uh, we see you're uh, a little shy on your 2021 uh, you know, return. <laughs> You've got to go to Best Buy. <laughs> what? See, at the first point, he would say Best Buy. I'd hang up. So anyway, the reason I mentioned all about the yeah. room is because I walked into, I'd been this was a big gig last night. This wasn't me doing stand up for seven minutes at Yuck Yucks. Which I did a couple weeks ago, no big deal. Like, you know I hadn't done stand up in twenty months, but I went on stage. You know, I practiced a little bit and I did seven minutes. Seven minutes. Where? I was I was con- at Yuck Yucks. Oh, this is? was a couple Sorry. weeks ago. Okay. This is what I just said. Then, but last night was a real gig. It was, you gotta, I had to do. I was contracted to do forty minutes at a big fundraiser, Royal York Hotel you know in a in a, a room that was not set up in front of 150 men that had been all in tuxedos that had been drinking since 6:30 in the evening and i went on at 9:35 there was a uh, makeshift stage. The lighting was like no spotlight. There, it was like room lighting. So just it was like room lighting dimmed, which is horrible because you can sort of half see. And But everyone was sitting in tables, which is another bad sign for comedians. Anyway, all of this to say, how does this relate to golf? Well, I really worked hard preparing for this, I, I didn't take it lightly. They were paying me grown-up money, and there was an expectation. Here's, you know, they've had some big comedians do this dinner, and uh, and I was and flattered to be asked. And and the thing is, also, I've had a, I was booked in the summer of 2020 for this gig. It was supposed to be last December, but because of COVID, it got canceled. Then they rebooked me, so I've had a lot of time to think about this. Anyway, my point about how it relates to golf is when I we went into that room last night as a 40-year veteran of being in front of people, I knew right away that this was going to be a tough condition, that the course was windy that day. Here <laughs> it comes. I that it was going to be playing longer, that it was going to be raining sideways, there was going to be a lot of things that went through my mind. And because of the experience of I don't don't be too hokey here, but because of being into meditation and controlling my breathing and 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 not panicking, that's the thing I was watching as. And instead of you know going on after a comedian's warmed up for you, I went on after a man in a Maple Leafs blazer. He was the auctioneer who did forty minutes of yelling, auction yelling. This was the warm-up for the funny guy coming up to the stage. So I'm watching this guy before me, and he can't even get their attention, and he's yelling about, you know, uh, Matthew's jerseys. (laughs) (laughs) But while all this is going on, I'm thinking, how would I handle this if this was a round of golf, a tournament round? Love it. And so the first thing I, I did was, I, I, you know, again, I recognized that it was going to be a tough course. The organizer came up to me, really nice man, and he said, uh, he said hey, I said, well, this looks like it's going to be a tough crowd. He goes, listen, Howard, <laughs> He's the first thing he does to me... And there's a friend of mine named Glenn Foster Who's one of the best stand-up comics in the country He said, well, listen, don't worry uh, Glenn was here last time And he only got their attention for 20 minutes And then he walked off the stage I was like, <laughs> oh and, 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 But in a weird way that calmed me down I said, listen, man I know you've asked me to do 40 minutes But if that happens to me Are you cool if I you know, do like 20 or 25 And, and if they're not listening, I, j- I bail at that point He goes, by all means So I had a bit of an out So after... The the reason I want to tell you that I really worked hard in my preparation is I went... I did it every day, like 45 minutes, an hour at a time of trying to remember it and do chunks of it and see if I got the words right. And then I get to the course and all that work on the range, I threw it out. I literally threw out everything I was going to do in terms of the order I was going to do it. And I thought, how can I get these guys' attention? So... When they introduced me, I took a long time before I started to sort of talk. They were so I got them to sort of they were shushing each other by the time I spoke.
1: You did that that speaker thing where you just sort of wait.
0: Yeah, I put my stuff down. I waited. No, actually, first what happened was I walked on and the mic didn't work. That's like teeing off on the first hole and hitting an, hitting an OB. So he goes, blah, 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 blah. He reads the introduction that I've written. Blah, 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 blah. Humble Howard Glassman. I walk out to applause, sort of, and I grab the microphone. It's a wireless. It doesn't work. And I go, well, this is a great start. <laughs> and then I walk off and I say, let's try it again. And he does the thing again. And I walk out and now I've got their attention. But I don't start my act. Anyway, it goes on. All I did for, and I did 40, 38 minutes with these guys. And all I did was tell, because I had this whole section that I was going to do about telling golf stories, about hosting the skins games, about going to some strip clubs, about being in a strip club with not one, but two masters champions. So, and I told the story of John Daly hosting a thing with him. And then I... And that sort of got their attention because a lot of guys in the room were golfers. And, you know, I was very, I'll be honest, with you, I was a lot dirtier than I normally am. And I was doing stuff, making fun of some guys in the crowd. And I, and I will tell you, it was like a, on a very tough day, it was like shooting 73. Like I didn't shoot par, but I could have shot 90. Yeah, And I had this revelation last night because I thought, you know, it really worked being present breathing and being in the room was the secret sauce cool. because I could have really bombed and, and, and what bombing is to a comedian or a performer or a speaker and I realized it last night bombing is just failing to understand you know, to, to, to what's going on, right? To not accepting that this is now the reality it's panicking when things don't go well is what bombing is And last night, I was determined not to panic. And I was so happy with it. You know, like, believe me, I got way bigger laughs in the comedy club two weeks ago. Way bigger laughs. Because they're all there in a comedy club looking up at a stage with a nice microphone and a light. And they're laughing because that's what they're there to do. But it was almost more satisfying because these guys were... One of the first things I said was, wow, what a... uh, what a diverse room full of old, rich, white guys, <laughs> you know, because that's what it was. I just was like saying the reality of what was going on. And I looked up at these chandeliers. I go, you know, for a bunch of guys sitting around eating meat, this is a bit of a fairy princess vibe in here. And just just acknowledging that there was things in the room, including us, because if I had gone up there and done my act, how I had rehearsed it scripted, scripted. If I had just been working on my swing, here it comes mm-hmm. again, and I wouldn't have been present to the fact that it was raining and windy and every the first few holes were way into the wind. A couple holes later I got a downwind par 5. I kind of got their attention and and things were rolling. <laughs> but I'll tell you man, I know this sounds silly, but I couldn't wait to do the show with you today because how I prevailed last night had everything to do with being mindful and almost nothing to and and, and being a professional about it. Like not pouting and not going, well, this sucks. Oh, fuck, I worked all this. I did all this work, and now this is the room. Because I can tell you, uh, the reason I mentioned the Howie Mandel thing is when you watch a performer in the right, there's a reason it's set up the way it's set up. And I know that you know this because you've been in rooms speaking to people. Anyway, I was very, very excited about it, and I felt like I did my job. And when I asked the kid who was doing the microphone who hadn't turned the mic on, as soon as I got off stage, I said, Andrew, how, you know, how long was that? He says, that's almost 40 minutes. I'm like, really? Because I, I couldn't have told you. I didn't know how long I was up there. But I kept saying, okay, I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I'm going to go. Okay, I know you guys are – that's when I, another thing I said. Hey, I know you guys are tired. I've been hosting golf tournaments for 20 years, and I know that, listen, it's at the end of the day. And I said, but i got to tell you, I've got the check in my pocket, so I'll stand up here or not. I don't really give a shit. That was kind of like my attitude. (laughs) I'm going to stand here. I'll do some stuff if you want to hear some stories. And it was great by just just acknowledging
1: all the things that were real. Love it. Absolutely love all of that. So I thought I'd share that with you. Thank you. Yeah, well, congratulations uh, on... On weathering the storm, if you will. I just love, man, how you, you move seamlessly into your golf analogies. Yeah, and then I got a down, downwind Got par a downwind par five.
0: par five about the third or fourth hole I did. Because you can feel it as a performer, too, when you've kind of got yes. a... You know, I knew it right from the beginning. I, I teed off, and the guy hands me a microphone that's not working. That's a... You know, in in light of everything else that was horrible about the setup, people sitting in round tables doesn't really work. That's why in Vegas... You ever see those old movies about Vegas where they have the, the, the tables are half away? You know yeah. what I mean? Like they're all sort of half tables looking outward?
1: Well, now I know why when I did a workshop at a golf club about a month ago, it didn't go well. <laughs> it was the, 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 seriously, the, they're all in like, you know, foursomes tables and it, yeah, it doesn't go uh, so listen, that's, that's cool. Timmy, so, I can tell
0: you. I'll, I'll tell you and you'll do this yeah, yeah, as you get more experienced, I'm sure. But like... I can walk into any room that's, that is going to be the, where a performance is going to take place. After 40 years, I can walk into any room and tell you immediately what kind of show they're going to have. You know, I did a, a stand-up gig just before the pandemic ended at a, one of those uh, conference places up north. Not a saga? One of those or? Monte Carlo Inn or someplace like that. And I walk in, and it's an entire room full, 150 people, sitting around round tables that have just eaten a huge meal. <laughs> and the, again... Just the lights
1: describing my experience a month yeah, ago.
0: They, they've <laughs> just eaten a big meal. Uh, the lights are not... They don't go down all the way, so you can see everyone's faces. And the reason that's a problem... Again, I don't want to go into the psychology of this, but I think it might be fascinating. The reason seeing everyone's faces, it's not for the performer. It's when you can see each other, you then start to... Um, Almost uh, restrict yourself because when people can see one another, they're there because sometimes they don't want to know. It's like when somebody else laughs at it. Should you be laughing at it, too? It's almost like they yeah. uh, edit themselves. So I walk in. It's a bunch of circular tables. They've just eaten. And the manager comes up to me. said, are you the MC? I said, yeah. He goes, well, listen, before you at the very start of the show, I want you to make these raffle draws. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, no worries. I said, why don't we do that after, say, the first comedian and we get the show rolling? He goes, oh, no, this is how we always do it. I go, okay. So I walk up with no introduction and I go, hi, Uh, everyone got your attention, please. You know, (laughs) and before I start doing stand up myself and get the room ready for the comedians, I've got to go, okay, number 1754310. So Rachel later said, "Hey honey, how did it go?" And I said, "Well, it started with a dra- a raffle draw and went downhill." <laughs> and all of us just had a tough time. Yeah. Because the
1: room was wrong. And yeah, no, I, 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 this is this is so helpful to me because one of the things that was like when I was giving that workshop, I was just the, the whole vibe was wrong. I felt off balance. Let me
0: ask you, were you standing on the same level as the people who were watching you?
1: Uh, no, I was standing. Well, yeah, I was standing. They were sitting. No, but I'm yeah, saying like you, same but you
0: were on the same, you were on the floor yep. of the people. So even though you were standing, you weren't quite above them.
1: And again, it's not for power, but it's for focus. Uh, yeah, I get it. No, this is, um, I'm taking a lot of stuff from this and I will you know when we're done. Um, and another time I'll take a deeper dive into this because this is hugely helpful to me. But just in light of time, I know you uh, we go. don't have a lot of time left. But I just want to um, make an even, I don't know, connect some dots to the actual playing of golf to what you just described. Um, I love what you, you were saying there. And it's so the lessons learned are so applicable to golf. And what I love the, the fact is is that you are in the moment you're responding to to what was real what was actually happening as opposed to what you had had planned in advance and it should be this and you know i'm going to follow this script and i think that's what happens to us in in golf and other parts of our lives we we have this sense of well it should be like this and this is what i planned and i feel safe doing it or we react in other ways and it just puts us in a place of not being able to respond to what's actually happening.
0: It's and like, a, well, no, I, I, well, I obviously agree. It's like a, it's like that Sam Harris thing that I played off where I got it off Fawcett in the spring when he talked about, you know, human beings are meant to solve problems. And if you think some day is going to come where you don't have a problem to solve, where your computer isn't going to pop, you know, go bad, or, you know, something's going to happen with some piece of equipment. But I can tell you, an earlier version of myself uh, would have gone into that room last night. I would have panicked. I would have gotten pissed off because I'm like... Because I was. I mean, part of me was thinking, well, I know you planned all that stuff, but you better figure out something else because this is happening now. This isn't going to go away. I can't call for help. I'm in this now. just like in a golf game, you know? Um, That's this this
1: is really good stuff because I... Even though I've been doing workshops for a long time, even this podcast, um, webinars, every once in a while, I'll get this sort of feeling in my chest of like, Ugh, this isn't really going well. You know, how are they perceiving me? Do I even know what I'm talking about? Of course. <laughs> and I think every perform. I think I got to think every performer goes through absolutely this to, to some degree, but. I'm still getting my reps in in terms of developing skill of around being able to respond to it and be in the moment rather than being kicked up into my head and particularly into you know my alarm that oh something's wrong you could die now
0: <laughs> well, I, and but again you you make, you make the point like it's just repetition but it's also rev- you know for me it's been <clears throat> a bit of a revelatory thing because i've been doing stand-up a long time but a lot of stand-up the last four or five years and then of course the pandemic shut that down for a while but you know i can tell you that we've talked about this on the, the humble and fred show quite a bit when you hear something that's fake what we perceive of as fake is when something's like a lot of times radio people the old style radio people is there would be a mistake and they wouldn't acknowledge it Whereas I come from the school of, like, the more mistakes, the merrier. It's the David Letterman school of when things go wrong or or Carson. Carson was at his funniest when the joke bombed because of the way he would respond to it. Not react, but respond. So we call it in radio denying the verbal reality. And what that is is if somebody, you know, screws up a word and it comes out pussy instead of pussy. And then you don't say, oh, by the way, you just said pussy. Then you're denying the verbal reality. That thing just happened. But by denying it, the audience goes, well, that's not a real person because we all heard that. So when I came on that stage last night, I wasn't defiant, but I was pretty. I was a bit aggressive. I I let them know in no uncertain terms that I got paid. So we're either going to do this or and not in an unpleasant way, but we're either going to do the show or I don't care, really. And by slightly not caring as well. There you go. By having an air about me of slightly not caring, that translated into making whatever I said to them my character, not the material. There were several times when I sort of pretended to get mad at them and said, fuck you, Moose and Goose. That's a funny joke. And then they laughed at that because it was called the Moose and Goose dinner anyway. But yeah, I, I was pretending that if they didn't get the joke, it was their fault, not mine.
1: Well, I, I, I love that. Um... Because that's I, you're challenging your audience, and they're going to respond. I think they're going to tune in even more. Oh yeah, but but I think that what you're talking about to some degree is that I'm not living and dying with this. I'm I'm going to be okay. I'm going to like after this is done. I'm going to go home and see my sweetie, or you know, tomorrow's gonna be another another day. I'll be fine. And I think that's a pretty good attitude to have in all things. Is that that this I'm not going to die doing this. Whether this goes well or not, I'm okay.
0: And just, I agree. And, and you know, next time you're... I mean, listen, I've bombed plenty of times. And But they, it always happens when I panic or I don't adjust to the situation or I get too invested in it. You know, that's those are those rounds when you, you know, you have blow-up holes and you're trying too hard and all the things we talk about on Swing Thoughts, but they all come from the same place, which is, a you know... Sure, it's easy to talk about chipping sideways when you get in trouble in December. But, you know, what if you're in your club championship and you think, oh, I can really get it through those che- trees? Well, you know, that's when it counts. So being able to have these ideas and understand them when it counts is the hardest part. It's the discipline part. But the next Absolutely. time. We-
1: and, well, you know, just just I just want to um, I can't let this go. Because no, don't let it go. This is so helpful to me because in that workshop I gave about you know, it was about five or six weeks ago. It was the first in person workshop I'd done in about eighteen months. Right. So I didn't have my reps in and dealing with a live audience, but doing tons of webinars, which is a totally different, you know, interaction. So given that it was a workshop, I was did my PowerPoint. And I think what happened was part of it was, you know, wrong room set up, et cetera, was that I was cognizant of staying following my script, as it were, Mm -hmm. based on the slides. And if I had read the room and responded to what was going on, I would have maybe said, oh, to hell with this. I'm just going to stand here and talk or ask your questions or just go with it. Because there was times where I walked away from the podium to tell a story and I could just feel my body relax got into the story, got into characters of the story and had fun and people were really... And then it went back to the podium script and where are we now? And are we in slide 17 or 15? And then it just kind of bogged down again. So this is really super helpful. And and how it relates to golf, again,
0: I'm sure people by now have figured out, but I mean, you know, we get caught up in our our material being, you know, the swing you're working on and the swing you're trying to make, and I'm trying yeah, to fit this swing. This. Meanwhile, you've got to, you know, you're, you're you're not adjusting to the conditions of the playing field. And, and when I got home last night and I started writing down some of these notes, I thought, you know, this is... B- because I really made a conscious effort to get my breathing down, to work on... You know, I, in the afternoon, again, I, I meditated. I just... Because I was getting pretty excited. And also... You know, excited, nervous, a little bit scared. You know, this is, it's again, doing seven minutes at Yuck Yucks three Saturdays ago. You know, I was nervous, but, you know, when I walked into that room and I saw that the place was packed, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be, this is nothing but downwind holes, man. It really isn't. (laughs) Like, I know a lot of people listening would be frightened for the more, you'd think the more people, the more frightening it's not. When you walk out, and and especially the the, comedy club has such a, uh, and it's Saturday night and everyone is in a great mood. Like, there really isn't a softer landing. And it's interesting that they make amateurs go on on a Tuesday night when there's only 30 people in the room and 25 of them are the other comics waiting to go on. It's so, like, it's a, impossible to get a laugh. Yeah. But you could put an amateur on a Saturday night at Yuck Yucks and give them a couple minutes and they'd probably do okay just because the audience is there to lift you up. Uh, anyway, we got to wrap up. I know listen, I could talk forever, as you know, but you've got to go. Um, I'll just tell you that uh, the next time um, I I've not, forget the next time I have just learned so much about how I show up as a comic and as a speaker from how I've learned to handle myself, you know, not throwing clubs and not freaking out and all the other stuff that golf has given us. Um, which is why um, you know it's so good doing the show with you there, Coachy Coach. Well, yeah,
1: well, it falls right in line with what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. This theme of golf is life, and how we show up in different parts of our lives. And I had my first golf is life online golf nerd group on uh, Tuesday. It went great, but it's all in this all in this same ballpark. Is, is that you know golf is like is how we show up in life and how we show up in different parts of life is how we show up in golf. It's all... uh, It's all inextricably intertwined
0: and uh, that's where we'll leave it for today thanks to Jonathan Wong Apparel Inc uh, even though this is the unofficial season we still want to acknowledge these fine folks that support us uh, made Golf number one uh, ball and golf and drivers and all sorts of stuff and we're really lucky we're going to be hanging out next week and we'll tell you about our made fitting and then of course coming in the new year we've got some uh, cool swing thoughts merch Tim O'Connor O'ConnorGolf.ca yes? Absolutely Is that still where people get a hold of you for your uh, your stuff? O'ConnorGolf.ca and of course HumbleAndFredRadio.com uh, We'll see you next time Thanks
1: on down so.